and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Hi everyone, I hope you're having a great week. And as you know, every few weeks we bring on an expert in industry to help educate us and deepen our understanding on topics that we've been discussing on this very podcast. Today, let me introduce you to Jessica Maguire, who has worked as a trauma-informed integrative physiotherapist for 14 years and is currently running programs on the vagus nerve. She aims to help people get to the cause of their problems rather than just relying on others to treat their symptoms. She has studied neurophysiology throughout Europe, America, and the UK and Australia, and she has learned from pain researchers, professors in neuroplasticity, neuroscientists, and psychologists on how the brain and nervous system change from stress, trauma, and chronic pain. Jessica believes that knowledge is power and that we are empowered when we have autonomy in reshaping our mind and body systems. Her specialty now is teaching patients about the varicose nerve and their nervous system and how stress-related illness such as anxiety, depression, gut orders, autoimmune issues, and chronic pain can arise from dysregulation after chronic trauma and stress. Isn't it crazy how the world works? I had this interview booked in for months. Then on the day that we went to record this very interview, the doctor rings me that morning and mentions the word varicose nerve for the very first time. And I jump on this interview and that is what we're talking about. The other really crazy thing is we didn't launch this interview until this week, right? So this is a few months after we recorded it. And this very week after we decided to launch it, I got diagnosed with POTS an autonomic condition. There is something in the water. I want to take a moment just to raise awareness of the condition of POTS. This is a condition that very few people in Australia know about, and we have actually just opened an Australian foundation in 2021. I'll pop that in the show notes so that everyone can have a read. POTS refers to posterior orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. It is a condition of the autonomic system. It can be a life-altering and debilitating health condition. Simply standing up can be a challenge as our bodies are unable to adjust to gravity. To give you an idea, I completed a half Ironman and three weeks later, I started to get unusual symptoms in my leg. Over the following 11 months, I went from training 11 to 15 hours per week to not being able to stand up at all. I was exercise intolerant, which is a side effect of POTS. My heart rate goes to about 150 or 160 beats per minute just on standing without even moving. I think I might be the only gym owner in Australia that is exercise intolerant. Kind of ironic, really. 25% of POTS patients report having to stop work or education due to the impact of the condition on their health. And that's according to the POTS Foundation in Australia. Today, if this is the first time you're hearing the word POTS, I invite you to go and look it up. 
We need to raise awareness of this life-changing condition that affects so many of our loved ones. One of the major concerns with POTS is actually how long it takes to get diagnosed. Mine took 18 months, which I've since learned is I'm actually really lucky in that space because that's counted as a quick diagnosis. For many, it's years upon years of test after test after test and doctor appointment after doctor appointment after doctor appointment with no answers. Often patients are told it's all in their head. So please check out the POTS Foundation. The links are in the show notes and jump on after this podcast. So let's get into this interview with Jessica around the autonomic system, vagus nerve, chronic stress, and the gut-brain connection. I hope you enjoy this different view on it all. Welcome, Jessica, to the podcast, Challenges That Change Us. Uh, Thank you so much for giving up your time today and coming on. Thanks, Ali. I'm really excited to be here and to chat with you. And I really love to start every podcast with a question that kind of opens up your personality in a different way to what we usually do. We just talk about who we are. And that is, is there an animal that you would best use to describe yourself and your personality? And what is it about that animal that makes you choose it? (laughs) I love this question. I would say at the moment, what's resonating really strong would be a bird, maybe like a hawk or something, because... I'm moving into teaching a lot or messaging a lot with communication for people around health. And it seems to me like it's taking for myself to communicate that well, a different perspective, which sometimes means taking a higher up or looking at things from a different point of view. And I would say Mm. that I like the sort of when we're doing the work that we're supposed to be doing, there's almost like a little bit of like, effortlessness to it where we glide through and it feels like we get into that flow state. So I'm going to go with the bird for now because I think it really resonates with where I'm at. Yeah. And we were just talking about that before we press play around that flow in business. And when you're like in your lane and you know exactly what your mission is and your why, and you've got good people around you, how easy that work can come and how natural it can feel in that space. Absolutely. Yep. And that's obviously where the best work comes from. Yeah. Yeah. And Jessica, are you able to tell us, like I did post your information in our Challenges That Changes Facebook group a little while ago so people could go check you out. We've had lots of new people join since then. So I thought it might be a really nice place to start is for you just to tell us a little about you, like not even about your career, like who are you and where have you come from? Sure. So I'm based in Northern New South Wales. It's a great little part of the world. We're in a small town near by just north a little bit. So it suits me really well. I don't really like the fast pace of cities. I love visiting, but for living there, I would get a bit overwhelmed aside from Korea. I definitely love the, the friendship groups that we have here. I love that there's a lot to do outdoors and it's in nature and it's um, a, yeah, a slower pace of life. And that I can still work and connect with people all around the world from living here. Yes. Has that changed since COVID for you or was that something you were already doing? So pre-COVID I was still treating patients, but I was definitely moving to the tail end of that because we just started up our vagus nerve workshops, which we were taking around Australia and New Zealand. And then I was moving over to 
I'm feeling that the best way to help people was just through our online programs and the workshops. So it was wrapping up with patients. So now I work with some live speaking, but mostly teaching through our courses online. Mm. I asked that because I know with our business here, we just, you know, once COVID hit, it just opened the whole world up. I like, I don't, I don't know whether it was that I was unaware of it or I was too scared to get on Zoom or, you know, like even yesterday I had, I was talking to someone in America and then an hour later I was in Melbourne doing a chat with people in Melbourne and then back in Armadale, <laughs> you know, which is in New South Wales. So, but pre COVID, that wasn't my life. Like <laughs> it's like a bounce around the world now. Yeah. And that's one of, the, I guess, one of the really good things that's come out of our last yeah. year years of COVID. Yeah. And you're from Tasmania. I grew up there, but I left when I was, I think, 18 and I went to study and went to Western Australia. So that was that yeah. was a good change. To Perth? Yeah. Yeah. Went to Perth, went to Curtin University, which was a great time. And I ended up doing an undergrad degree and then doing my postgrad. So I really enjoyed it. Let's talk about your degrees because you've got a lot of study under your belt. Let's go through that sure. because it sounds like you've never stopped learning. <laughs> <laughs> like, <this> is, you know, <laughs> when I had a look. Um, but your undergrad was in health science, wasn't it? Yeah. So that was a good introduction. And without really knowing it, it was actually looking at the vagus nerve because I was looking at the connections of the heart particularly Mm -hmm. heart rate variability and a lot of those measurements are looking at the health of the vagus nerve or how how it's slowing down our physiology and then a lot on the gut, so metabolic biochemistry, which is a very fancy word for looking at all those processes of digestion and then a lot on microbiology too. So that was really a great foundation for a lot of what we teach on now. There were aspects of psychology in it as well. And then following on from that, I did a master's in physiotherapy, which was fantastic. I loved it, loved learning about the body. And um, those two together were a really great foundation for looking at a person in the big picture Mm. and really, you know, not just breaking down into things like when someone's got issues with their digestion, is it the stomach, but being able to see all those interconnected systems and how the body affects the brain and the brain affects the body and how we can't really separate it. So a bit of a unique approach to what we do now from that study. Yeah. And I think I was only saying to someone the other day, I cannot wait for the world to catch up to the fact that we need dietitians, physios, doctors, psychs, all in the same room, Yeah, you know, like we can't separate, I believe we can't separate it. You know, stress has such an impact on our body and our body can have an impact on stress. You know, it just, it's just a cycle and it's really hard to compartmentalize different aspects. And mm-hmm. often we don't, get asked about those other aspects. It's not even that they might not have the knowledge in it. It's that, you know, you can see a doctor and they may not ask, and this is not being critical of doctors. This is the whole industry. They may not ask about what's happening in the nutrition or, you know, when I had my stroke, no one asked me around nutrition, psychology, around anything other than the physical. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think the main thing is we had different models throughout time Mm. and we can look at the medical model as being absolutely incredible for 
saving lives, you know, antibiotics, we can see it with, we can replace a joint or pin broken bones. Now there's so much incredible things that have happened with the, through the, that biomedical model, it, but it's really for acute conditions and where we're falling short is looking for stuff that's chronic, that persists, that's happened because systems have gone out of balance. So that can be things like mm. gut disorders. It can be following periods of chronic and traumatic stress. And that's really where my work centered around was people who had a hypersensitive nervous system. And that can certainly be from what they've experienced through their life because it's a ever-changing system and one that learns right throughout our life and it learns from what we experience. So my work really centered around that and looking at things through a new lens. But really now we look at things through a biopsychosocial model which, you know, is more looking at all those factors of biological things, psychological things, but also even social things like our relationships and what's going on outside of us. But the medical model can fit inside of that. We're not saying throw away the medical model, but we need something that everyone fits into because or an integrative approach if um if not you know like that's what i think as well with medical it's either we need everyone to work together or we need to understand that there's there's more out there you know there's other ways and i think we we're, we're definitely catching up to that i mean this conversation is going to be one of those conversations today you started when you were as a physio though before we get into what you're doing now you worked as a trauma informed integrative physio and for many people they'll be thinking what is that <laughs> <laughs> So can you explain what that is? <laughs> sure. So from where I worked as a physio, you know, we were taught, okay, somebody comes in with pain. These are the treatments that you do. But there are a lot of people who don't, well, who didn't when I treated them respond so well. And the science is now showing, you know, there are a lot of people that don't actually respond to the conventional manual therapy techniques, but it doesn't mean we throw it out and say it doesn't work. We just look at how we can help those people. So what I would see consistently is I often worked with people with post-traumatic stress disorder and they would have a number of conditions or a number of symptoms that all would flare up together. So they'd feel anxious, they'd have gut issues, they might not be sleeping and they'd have pretty strong pain. And so working with that was understanding that although I could treat the pain and they'd probably feel better for a little while, we needed ways to help them get to the root cause of that, which was having their nervous system not be so dysregulated. And that's where people often get stuck in states of more anxiety or they move down into sort of a shutdown withdrawal state. And so my work really revolved around that. And being a trauma-informed physio was meaning that you could see these responses that were around trauma and you would also be aware that we can start to teach people to come back into their body. But for some people who have experienced trauma or 
extreme levels of pain, it doesn't always feel like a safe place to be. So we need to be aware of that when we teach people how to be in their bodies again. And I suppose for me, I get a little bit when I see things like, oh, everyone who's had trauma should just meditate. And really, Mm. that's not really true. That's not really helpful for everybody. I mean, meditation is wonderful, but... In some circumstances, it could also be harmful. Like I'm a huge advocate of meditation, but, you know, there's a time and a place as well. Exactly. And this is where it's important to be trauma-informed because if we just have these broad brushstrokes of everybody should do this, it's really not helpful. So for some people who Mm. start paying attention to a feeling that they can't breathe properly or this tightness in their chest or like a racing heart, butterflies in their tummy, it can actually signal to their survival brain that there's something really bad happening and their dysregulation can get worse. So being able to help people come back into their body in a sensory way, but also just to feel at home again in that space that's their Mm. body was really what I wanted to help these patients do, but also to help that it's just so common. There are so many people who feel the high levels of anxiety and panic and down into the shutdown and burnout and exhaustion. So, um, that's where I then shifted from physiotherapy. So I spent 14 years helping people like this and I got to know these people very well. And, then I wanted to give people tools that they could use themselves rather than coming in for a passive treatment. It became about, they got back into the driver's seat. They learned what state they were in and they learned what they needed to do in those times. And that learning was what actually would change their ways of their nervous system responding because it is a system, as I said, that can always change. And that's Mm. what led to the work that I do now. And it sounds like also when you're talking about helping people be back and engaging with what's happening in their body is that you also want them to understand those alarm um, signals and when it does need to be this might be an unsafe environment, like learning the difference as well. Yes, yeah. So it's getting to know how to understand sensations, how to understand urges, thoughts, actions, and then also to have enough autonomy and agency to take care of that. Because the biggest thing for people following chronic and traumatic stress is this feeling that they're helpless of these body responses and that they have, Mm. you know, it's all out of control. And so really that is where education is so powerful. Mm. Mm. And it's why I invited you on as a guest because we have a gym here and I have a yoga studio and we have a, a national wellbeing and performance business as well. And I'm seeing it more and more. And also what I'm finding is people are going back and forth to the doctors and not getting answers. And sometimes I think, oh, there's there's more we can do in this space. And then I discovered you and I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> so let's talk about the now. Let's talk about what you're doing now. Where would you like me to start? (laughs) Well, let's start with the business that you've opened. What is it and how do people find you and what are some things that you do? And then we'll dive deep after that. Sure. So we 
were running our workshops, which I mentioned around Australia and New Zealand. And we've moved now more to, we have, first of all, it's like an introduction to the nervous system and tools, which is our masterclass or the Vegas nerve masterclass. And that goes for two and a half hours. And it really gives people a framework of understanding. They have the tools for each state that they can use. And then for people who want to take the deep dive, we have our six-week vagus nerve program. That's like our signature program and that covers everything. And we go through different modules each week, but we also have live calls each week so people can actually practice the tools. And then we just released in May our new program, which is the vagus nerves gut brain connection. And that's a six week rebalance where we really look at the connection of the gut brain access. And all of those are on my website, jessicamaguire.com. So that's our main teachings. And we'll be popping where to find you in the show notes as well. For anyone that's thinking, Oh, this is exciting. We'll have it all in there. Just with the gut brain connection, is that a course that people can take without taking the masterclass or is it always start with the masterclass? and then progress through. We do recommend to start with the masterclass. It's a great foundation and the next programs do step it up a little bit. So we would certainly Mm -hmm. recommend to start with the masterclass first. Mm -hmm. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you are and you'd like to learn more or engage further with our podcast community, you can do this in our Facebook group. Just search for Challenges That Change Us on Facebook or look in the link in our show notes. In this group, we'll be sharing extra content and giving further background to our episodes. So I hope to see you there. But for now, let's get back to the episode. And can you tell us, for everyone that's out there that keeps hearing this word vagus nerve, what it is, you know, like for people without going into your courses, just giving us a bit of an overview and maybe perhaps what happens when it's not functioning well or when everything's not aligned. Sure. Yeah. So it's a great question. It's actually one of our cranial nerves, which we have several of them. It's the 10th cranial nerve. And rather than it being one nerve, it's actually a series of connections. So the name is a little bit misleading. So if you ran the hand down the back of your head, you'd feel like a ridge there. And if you went inwards, we'd say there's the brainstem. So it originates in the brainstem and it's got a branch or branches that run down both sides of the body and come into the chest. So it innovates the lungs So it's involved with breathing, the heart as well. And it has a particular branch that runs to the heart that we call the vagal break. So this runs to the heart's pacemaker. So it's always keeping our heart going a little bit slower than what it would if it wasn't there. So without it, our heart at rest would beat around about 90 beats per minute. But with it being there, it actually slows us down enough. And from an evolutionary point of view, it's really what we saw looking back is that this evolution of this vagal break was really what helped humans thrive when they worked together when they cooperated, when they collaborated. So before that, we were probably quite primal in our fight or flight response because we'd be going faster, be more a survival thing. And we have another branch that evolved that runs from the heart up to the 
throat and the face and the ears. And that's all to do with communication. So we call that our social engagement system. And this is where you can hear by somebody's voice. If they're regulated, they will have a voice that has prosody. So there'll be a variation in rhythm and pitch. And parents do it intuitively with babies, right? They start talking in this sing-songy voice like this. So that that does bring a regulation for the baby to hear that voice. As where somebody who's, say, anxious, they might talk with a higher voice like this and it's very up here. Or somebody who's angry, it might be down here like this and there's no prosody. So those cues that we receive from other people, we hear in their voice, we see on their face, that actually can bring us into this regulated state as well because it engages the vagal break as that's happening. Then we have another branch that's running more down into the gut. So we say it's under the diaphragm and it's mostly innovating those areas. And that branch more brings us down into deep stillness and rest, but under threat, it can actually be the branch that takes us down into an energy conservation state where we might collapse, withdraw, shut down. So it's interesting that there are so many functions from one cranial nerve Mm. and Mm. it's really interesting that most of those fibers are actually running from the organs all the way up to the brain, creating this continual feedback loop that runs back down into the body. And so what we see a lot with people, which I was talking about with helping them feel at home inside their body again, is that that sensory information and the way that it's coming up to the brain if we've been through something quite traumatic, we might become hypersensitive to these sensations where, say, for example, if I feel like a fluttery feeling at my chest because I'm a little bit nervous, I might move into anxiety quite quickly and panic. Now, that can particularly happen because the vagal break can get inhibited following chronic and traumatic stress. So you could think of this, if you were on a bicycle and you're going downhill, you just keep a little bit of that brake engaged with your fingers, you know, so you don't go too fast. That's what it's like normally when we're just cruising along, you know, going about our day. Let's say I'm talking to you and I'm so passionate about this topic. I might just relax that a little bit and I feel that mobilizing energy come into my system So this helps me focus. It helps me bring that energy in to speak to you about this for throughout this hour. But let's say my vagal break wasn't working so well because I'd been through chronic and traumatic stress. Let's say when I came to speak to you today, rather than just relaxing it a little bit, it might come off completely. And then I would feel my heart raise. I would feel that mobilizing energy and anxiety coming through my body. So 
we can really look at anxiety as the way that the vagal break is being released and it's not being there enough to sort of slow that mobilizing energy down. So when someone's vagal break isn't working well, we say they, they can have low vagal tone and that's where we can see physical things as well, like it can affect the heart, blood pressure, but also the way the gut, particularly digestive issues. So the vagus nerve acting on the gut is what helps motility function properly, which is the movement of food through the gut. And often we will see long-term chronic and traumatic stress can lead to a gut disorder. And people will be more likely to have a gut disorder if they have a history of trauma from what we've seen in research consistently. Mm. And how come this is new information? Like, is this something that's just come out in industry or is this been around forever and just people haven't been talking about it? Well, we could look back at Stephen Porges, who is the amazing gentleman who first started presenting research on this quite some time ago. You know, it was, a, it was back in the 90s. Um, and he introduced what's known as polyvagal theory, meaning that there are these two branches of the vagus nerve. Now, that wasn't seen that much before, but I think maybe it's to do with the fact that people are finding that certain other tools just aren't working. You know, they're feeling anxious, they're experiencing burnout, and we can see now that working with our physiology rather than just trying to be more positive or reframe things or think our way out of things, like that's just not working for a lot of people. And, you know, we know that for, for trauma, talk therapy doesn't work so well. We know that we need other approaches. And I think there's a lot of people who, have gone through a lot of chronic stress and have experienced dysregulation and need something to help them. And there's a lot of people going to get help for things like gut disorders and they're probably, they know they're not getting the right assistance in that. Maybe the messaging is something along the lines of, well, nothing showing up on the scan. So maybe it's all in your head. And that's something mm. I certainly saw with a lot of patients and it's really unfortunate that that's the way that that's being taught. But diagnosis by exclusion is it must be in your head, right? <laughs> it's so unfortunate. And, you know, for yeah. a lot of patients I saw with physical pain, it's a similar thing. They may have, say, had an injury initially, but the worry and the stress and how it impacted on their work all of those things contributed to their system becoming hypersensitive. So mm. this is where we can't treat it with, oh, just change your diet. Oh, just, you know, go and get a massage. Like we, we can see more and more that that isn't working for people with this kind of chronic and this pattern of dysregulation or where, this, where their nervous system is sensitive. We need to look at it through a whole new lens and stop, mm. you know, sort of gaslighting people that it's their fault. 
Yeah. And it's really interesting you say this. I was uh, interviewed on a podcast yesterday and I was trying to explain about, you know, exactly what you're saying in a, in a different way though. But I was saying, you know, meditation, setting your intention for the day, going for a walk, all great strategies, but that's their strategies. Mm-hmm. You, we need to go back to the root cause. And mm-hmm. so whether that be when you're talking about emotions, honoring your emotions first and then accepting what's happening and then looking at strategies, like I think it's quite similar to what you're saying. It's like, we need to go back to the root cause. You know, these strategies are there to help. It's almost sometimes putting a Band-Aid on instead of going back and finding what happened in the first place. And that that sometimes is what people don't understand is the difference between counselling and therapy. You know, counselling often, not always, it depends on the counsellor's training and, and what they're doing, but often is about setting them up to be able to regulate themselves for that day or that week or that month, whereas therapy is really about going back and going, where did this all start? You know, what's driving this in the first place? And it sounds like, you know, that's sort of the experience in that you're having. We have all these tools that we've been using in industry, whether it be in medical or in physio, and they're great tools and they do work for some things, but we need to maybe go back a little bit further and start asking a few more questions and being a little bit more curious around why is this happening and is there a gap in industry? Is there something that we may have not realized is actually going on in the human body. Mm. Yeah. And just looking at what else, you know, rather than Mm. we like to categorize and divide and, you know, medicine has become quite specialized in that we see a cardiologist for the heart. We see somebody else for the kidney, somebody else for this, but what can happen is they're all looking at different areas of research. I mean, it's even when we look at it from, well, do I see a physiotherapist or do I see a psychologist or do I like, is it my body Mm. or is it my brain? But even what maybe Mm -hmm. we need to be looking at is like, how do we say that what anxiety fits into? I mean, is it mental health? Because the result coming from the nervous system that we're talking about definitely involves the autonomic nervous system that belongs to the body, but we also see the brain involved. But I think this is why it's hard for people is we're separating systems instead of looking at connections and patterns and how they work together. And we want a problem to fit neatly into a box and to have a nice little neat solution. And we really need to lean into the complexities rather than trying to Mm -hmm. oversimplify. I think that is my pet peeve is just oversimplifying things that are complex when we should be saying this is complex, but not only that, it's unique for everybody. Like what you, I may find stressful may not be stressful to you. And no two people will have the same experience of pain or trauma. No. And so you'd be loving social media at the moment (laughs) (laughs) and all the courses that are coming out. Do this and this will happen to you. (laughs) Uh, I suppose the only thing I find frustrating is when I see a 30 second reel telling somebody how to fix their nervous system. And it's, you know, that is where I think, please don't oversimplify something that, you know, this is a beautifully complex protective system that is always acting in, you know, service of our survival. We can learn to listen to it and work with it, but that takes weeks to get that learning. Yeah. 
Yes. I mean, I think weeks is generous, but it's not my specialty, but like, I'm always saying to people, it didn't take you one week to get here. Like it's taken you decades. We're not going to undo it in a week. Like, can we just get perspective on this? Can we just, you know, bird's eye view it for a moment? But you did mention a word there that I know people may not know what it is when you talked Mm -hmm. about the autonomic system. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe if we can just have a bit of an explanation around that. And then I really would love to ask you about the early signs and symptoms. Mm -hmm. So let's go just, just dive a little bit into the autonomic system for people that don't know. Sure. So we can look at, we have a few different nervous systems and this is where it can get a little bit confusing. So we used to talk about them all as being separate, which, you know, that's how I learned it at uni, but we will look at, we can look at the central nervous system as being the brain and spinal cord. And then we have our, what we would break it into the peripheral nervous system. So we have our somatic or voluntary, which is sort of how I move my arms and legs, how I'd get up and go for a walk. And then we have our autonomic nervous system. And that is the system that I was saying is always acting in service of our survival to keep it safe. So we used to look at the autonomic nervous system in a very basic way as sympathetic, parasympathetic. And so this sympathetic system sped us up. We'd feel that mobilizing energy when we needed to get away from something that was a threat or take action or if we got angry. And we would say fight the fight or flight system fitted into that. Yeah. And then the parasympathetic is we used to just say, oh, it's like, you know, what slows us back down again. So we're sort of looking at it as this very basic speed up, slow down. So it was, as I mentioned before, Stephen Porges who brought in polyvagal theory that helped us see that the parasympathetic branch, we can break down into two parts. So we could look at it as having this ventral vagal state of the vagus nerve and that the ventral branches are the ones that I mentioned that were to do with the heart and the chest. And that's what slows us down after, say, we've had stress and and brings us into regulation. And the dorsal vagal state would be that state I mentioned of energy conservation. So when there's no threat, this is where we might feel super relaxed. This can be the state we're in when we sleep, deep meditation for breastfeeding. Some women say they drop into that. But when there's a threat and we're moving into that state, we can go into a shutdown, collapse, freeze type pattern. So the autonomic nervous system is functioning outside of our conscious awareness. So we don't choose to move between states. It has nothing to do with us being weak or not positive enough or too sensitive. It's a system, as I said, that has learnt from what we've had happen in our life happened previously. And it's also something that through bioplasticity, we can reset or recalibrate if it is sensitive. And what sort of other early signs that, you know, when, when people start to notice stuff, what will they notice? Like how will it show up in their world? Sure. So if we say we might find ourselves driving to work We could look at this in a few ways. So we might have a bit of traffic on the road and find ourselves getting irritated and impatient. And that's just a normal response. You know, I could still be in a regulated state, but be feeling all of these things. But let's say 
I'm then driving to work and someone swerves onto my side of the road and I immediately feel my heart rate go up. I feel this intense activation of energy that's getting me ready to move. So I might quickly swerve out of the way and I might still be feeling my heart pounding afterwards. I might be a bit shaky, but then over time I could feel myself come back down and, whoa, that was scary. Okay. And that stress eventually will dissipate and we will recover. And it's, I think it's important to note that stress isn't actually bad for us. We've said that a few times on this podcast. (laughs) We want to avoid it, but it's not bad for us at all. So I would say when we avoid stress, that's worse. You know, when we avoid anything that's stressful because it's or prolonged, yes. you know, it's yes. that it's one or the other extreme, you exactly. know, if you do, don't have it at all or you have too much of it. Yes. Like anything exactly. in this world. So the, the, the term that we use is allostasis to say we have that release. Ooh, what that's does that, that release mean? of the sympathetic <laughs> nervous system. So the first thing that will happen is the vagal break will come off and the sympathetic or energy will come into our system. And that's really what's taking us into fight or flight. And allostasis is where we feel, I say, use the word kinesthetic, but we feel it in our body, that feeling of, oh, there goes that energy. We might feel our posture change, like our shoulders drop, our jaw relax. We might yawn, have a little shake or a twitch as that energy is discharged. And we'll return back to this set point or baseline of where we were before. So we have the capacity to do that. And Ali, as you so beautifully said, if we don't get to have that recovery or complete the stress response, that's where we can get tuned more towards having hyper arousal where we're prone to anxiety. We can't switch off. We can't relax. We're always go, go, go. We might need what we can call artificial regulators to help us. So that can be food, that can be scrolling, that can be wine, where we can't really come back to that true state of feeling at home in our bodies. And I guess while I'm listening to you, the risk also is is when people aren't, when we talked about earlier in this podcast, don't know what that feeling is in the first place. Exactly. You know, when they don't even know what that feeling is. So some people will be like, oh, yes, I find that hard. And others will be like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yes. So that true regulation is where we can connect to our own body. We can connect to the environment and to other people. And survival strategies really pull us out of the present moment because they want us to take some Mm. kind of action. So we'll know when we can be in that state where we have ups and downs still, you know, like I, as I said, nervousness, I might still get irritated, but I can still take in what's happening in the world around me. I can still find that state of being able to be present and concentrate and do all those things. But the other way I think that's equally important in that showing up is that sense of our energy or our under coping or what we might call hypo arousal, which is where I think a lot of people are seeing this now with burnout and burnout Mm. we used to think of as a mindset thing, but from a physiological point of view, it's where our vagal break isn't working for an extended period of time. So we often have that 
sympathetic release with no break. So we're up and we're anxious and we're hyped up and then we exhaust that system and we drop down into that exhausted system. So there's no vitality. There's no energy to help us do the things we're passionate about. We probably will procrastinate, not from being lazy, but physiologically. And I guess there's also the word I'm thinking about is it will feel like resilience just feels harder, you know, like that bounce back, that ability to come back from adversity feels like there's there's a lag there. Absolutely. But we'll also hear the story that comes from that state Mm. which reinforces that which Mm. is this is hopeless my situation is helpless Mm. I'm never going to get whatever it is that we want and that's another clue nothing's changing yeah I'm Mm. stuck that's another clue when you said how might this look like we can see these thoughts that come and we often used to think like the brain was the boss you know up here in charge of the body but that's not really true we actually can see that 80 percent of our nervous system is communicating upwards. You know, the vagus nerve is communicating I, Do you know how excited I am to hear you say this? <laughs> like this just is like, it is so nice and refreshing to hear this. From my background when working with trauma, like I used to feel like I was jumping up and down sometimes trying to get people's attention by saying it's not just this one lane, people. Yeah. Like can we stop just thinking there's one way or one lane or we know all the answers. We are complex. Yes. And if you think about the different experiences that people have in a in a week or a month, let alone a year, let alone a lifetime. You know, you, you have to consider it all. Yes, absolutely. And probably the the main part of that is to look at well, what actually helps the most with dysregulation or trauma is their physiological changes. They're not changes that are just the brain. Like the heart stops you know, that vagal break stops working so well on the heart. We have gut changes, we have inflammation changes, hormone changes. And I think that we've tried to once again, put everything into that box of, oh, it's all to do with the thinking. It's all to do with, you know, Mm. we can just change our mindset and that doesn't work with this. Like it's, it's been shown the more that if we have high levels of stress activation, like if we're triggered, we can't think our way out of it. Well, it gets foggy for most people. So where they think they think, is that going to, that's not going to make sense where they think they think, <laughs> where they, where they try and think their way out of it. It's actually, they're coming from a place of fog. So they can't see, if you imagine you're looking out into a landscape and it's all foggy, you can't see the landmarks you're trying to see. So if you're trying to think your way out of something that's foggy from a thought space, you can't see through it. You know, it's foggy, it's messy. Yes, you need to kind of take another approach. And I guess what I continually hear you say throughout this podcast is it's ongoing. You know, I'm hearing that a lot. It's like when there's, when it's ongoing and you can't so much feel where you're getting those breaks, by the sounds of it, probably want to have more breaks than (laughs) challenge in that space. But, you know, if you feel like you're on the rat wheel, whether that be, I'm really hyper alert or whether that be almost the opposite, that might be a really good time for someone to reach out. So probably where we need to start looking at is from the anatomical point of view is working with a part of the brain that we call the survival brain. 
And so we can split the brain into two parts. So survival brain, lower centers, it's outside of our conscious awareness. And we see that the vagus nerve comes up and connects into the survival brain. So in this section, we have the amygdala, which is like our smoke detector. And then we also have the hippocampus, which is to do with memory. And so the learning system of this, if you were to think of, say, you started driving a car and at first it felt so odd and you had to concentrate and think of every single thing, but then it became second nature to you. Well, this is the same way that our survival brain learns about stressful times in our life. And it does the most learning in times where the emotions are the highest. So what happens as we go forward is the survival brain will generalize that what's happening now is just like something in the past. So, you know, like when you're driving now, you don't really think about it. You just do it. And that's based off the assumption that things will be exactly the same as what happened. So we need to slow down these responses that are so automatic and bring them into awareness, work with them in skillful ways where we can have really skillful regulation. Then the survival brain learns something new and it adapts and it changes. And we stop responding in these same automatic ways. And that's where thinking just doesn't cut it. That's where we need to get to that root cause of that problem to reset the nervous system. And when I'm sure this is a question our listeners will be thinking, is this something that can be diagnosed? Like if they come and see you or, well, first of all, where do people go if they're worried and they're thinking, this is me, I would love to know more. Do mm-hmm. they, can they just come and do your course? Do they go to a doctor as well? Yeah. Look, you, you don't actually need to, you know, have a diagnosis to say, it's more recognizing this cluster of symptoms. So Mm -hmm. it'll be the prolonged anxiety. Like someone will be able to say from hearing what we spoke about before of, oh my gosh, I am that stuck in that hyper arousal or I get stuck in that hypo arousal. But for some people, they oscillate between the two, you know, they swing from anxiety to burnout to feeling both. And so When we look at what low vagal tone symptoms are, it's that prolonged anxiety can't switch off, so over-functioning nervous system, or stuck on low where it's an under-coping, where we feel flat, depressed, burnt out, procrastination, all of that. We look at things like having likely gut disorders, inflammation, so ongoing pain, these things that just don't get better. And these are often unexplained medical symptoms as well. It's not like we can say, oh, it's this. Mm -hmm. And then we'll see things like insomnia that go with that for a lot or people will oversleep and still feel tired. So we are seeing there's new devices that detect heart rate variability, which is looking at the vagal break. But the jury's still out on how reliable these are. Um, the gold standard. Because it's so new too, right? Like we don't have exactly. enough. We haven't had enough time to be able to say, yes, this works or this is what we should do and this is yes. how we'll know. Exactly. So the gold standard is, you know, the ECG leads on the heart and then we extract 
like a little, the beats of the heart and we measure things. Now that takes a lot of work and it's not necessary to see, but what we would really be looking at is that these things are chronic. We get stuck in these states and it's happened from adverse experiences, whether that's from our childhood or whether that's even, you know, a stage in our life, like maybe we've gone through a divorce, maybe our business went broke. Looking at those sorts of things where we can see, oh, I just had relentless stress and didn't get better. Or we might say, you know, an adverse childhood experience. And, you know, I would just be your typical client for this. <laughs> so I was saying to Jessica, this is for those that are listening, it is, I cannot tell you how crazy it is that I'm doing this podcast today because I was talking to my Sydney specialist and he's like, hmm, your autonomic system and varicose nerve is actually something we need to look at now. And he said, but there's very little research in this space. We're still doing trials. You know, it's from ongoing adversity in your life and we need to start to see what impact that's having on your body because you know for a lot of people out there they know parts of my story but it has been one Bondi bus after another after another you know even the last 18 months has just been uh, we had nine of our family members standing in my kitchen the other day and there was a chronic like a lot of them were life-threatening as well but chronic illness with all nine I was like this isn't normal, <laughs> but that's, you know, it's but it's normal. taken 18 months yeah. to get to that place that now they're looking at the varicose nerve and autonomic system, which is kind of what you're also saying there. It's like you've gone lot, had lots of tests and nothing's flagging, but something's wrong. Yeah, that's usually yeah. what it is. It'll be these ongoing unexplained medical symptoms. I mean, we can see it now that things like fibromyalgia. I was just going to say, what about? <laughs> yeah, because they're kind oh, of sitting in that so category. <laughs> yeah, so that's one that's like poorly managed. The diagnosis of it is by looking at, you know, certain tendons and saying, yes, these are sensitive. Um, it's It's not well understood, but what the research is showing again is that it's often associated with a history of trauma and it's often made worse by these emotional experiences that happen that flare things up. And the new research is looking at it's likely that there's changes in the way the immune system is responding and we know that's what happens when we go through chronic periods of stress that mm. the immune system gets involved. I mean, it's even trying yeah. to protect us from psychological distress. So yes. it, it definitely makes sense. But I, I guess it's just for those poor patients that we have had come in for years and, and not been able to say, okay, go and work on your nervous system. Instead, yeah. we've been trying to use massage and heat and, and mm. like things like exercise is wonderful. But it was actually shown that with fibromyalgia, they had low vagal tone. And so with using ways to improve that, their symptoms definitely got better as well. And I guess it's important that we say don't throw the baby out with the bath. We're not saying these things don't work. We're just saying for some people they've tried all these things and it's not working. Absolutely. I do have a question though. I do have a question. Mm -hmm. If someone does have a medical diagnosis, would it still be valuable for them to come and do your course? Yeah, like if you can see that this resonates with that root cause of the problem. Like if there's that, you know, you can see the pattern of, oh yeah, I had this chronic stress and I had that. A lot of people that come through our courses and programs will be doing it to help with the management of 
their symptoms. We certainly encourage people to keep working with their health professionals, not to stop, but to use this as well. Mm. The education and the framework of understanding is so powerful because you can then say, oh, this is my nervous system responding. It's not me having something wrong with me. It's just what Mm. this system has learned. Yeah. And also, you know, it's definitely becoming a bit of a buzz in the industry around the gut-brain connection. And I, I heard you say earlier that's something that you got, you, you dive deep into your course. So anyone that's interested in learning more about that, I'd also imagine that would be a valuable space for them. Yes. So we work a lot on what, what they've actually reclassified irritable bowel syndrome of is a disorder of gut-brain connection or how they interact. It's not necessarily mm. like, oh, you just should not eat dairy anymore. It's actually about the way that they're interacting. And we see that people with irritable bowel syndrome will often have an excitatory pattern in the brain in the way it lights up to pain. So we need to look at the brain. We need to look at the vagus nerve because that's connecting the two. And then we also, of course, can do things to rebalance the microbiome as well, because inflammation can come from a gut that's not balanced or when there's dysbiosis. Mm. So all of these things matter, which Ali, we've been saying so beautifully. We want to look at it as a whole person, Mm. not as this, the brain, the gut, this is separate, you know, it's all communicating. And I, I want to stay. I want to stay and talk to you all day. Um, <laughs> and I think that might be a little bit selfish. I'm sure, I'm sure you've got a thousand things to do. I'm like, I want to ask ten more questions. <laughs> but I want. We do need to wrap this up, unfortunately. So I guess before I come into my last question, I just want to give you a bit of space. Is there is there something that we haven't spoken about? Is there something that you want the listeners to know? It's always really challenging to take a complex theory or what we're learning or what, you know, decades of research is into really simple terms in an hour. (laughs) So is there anything that we, we haven't covered yet that you'd just like to spend a few moments talking about? I think the main thing that I love to teach people, and this is what creates such big change and is really at the heart of that gut brain access program is looking at the, what we call interoception. So it's I N T interoception. And that speaks to how our sensations are relayed up to the brain. And so although we may feel totally overwhelmed by sensations of the different states of our nervous system and we can't ignore them or well, we may try, but Say, for instance, when we have anxiety, we may have learnt that we will see the sensations inside of us as a threat or we may learn to cut off from sensations and live almost numb from our body. But Mm. either way, that is creating like an inner homelessness where we're like, well, where am I if I'm not in my body? I like that word, inner homelessness, Mm. because that's that's exactly what you were talking about right throughout this whole podcast. And so much of that sense of not being in our body, not only is it, you know, emotionally affecting us relationally, how do we connect with others if we don't feel at home inside of ourselves, but the systems that 
So, so many of the processes and systems that are happening in our bodies and the regulations of the regulation of our organs also rely on that information that's being communicated between the body and the brain. And some of it we may not even be aware of. You know, I can't sense maybe when my blood pressure changes slightly, but it's happening. So when we learn to strengthen our interoception muscle, we're improving so many facets of our health, like the physical, the relational, the emotional, and we'd say also psychological and if someone was listening to this and they get, you know, completely overwhelmed by anxiety or they tend to shut down and freeze, that's a system that you can retrain. Mm. You can retrain balance. You can retrain other sensory systems. This is a system that is no different than thinking, okay, I'm going to spend six to eight weeks learning how to change the way that my body and brain communicate and that will have just such a profound impact on somebody's life. Yeah, it's almost like it's <laughs> you're training post diversity. <laughs> you know, like yeah, Absolutely. yeah. Oh, so so it's so it's been so nice having you on. Oh my god, Thank I just you, yeah. I'm re- really excited about what's coming up for you and what's Thank coming you. up in industry in this space. We're seeing a lot happening overseas as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it is great, and we will absolutely put all of your information in the show notes so people know where they can find you. What I do like to Thank ask you. at the very end of the podcast is who in your world or what in your world truly makes you belly laugh? Oh, that's easy. That's my husband. He is the funniest, <laughs> silliest man. And he's, we are very playful together, which, you know, play is so good for the nervous system. But yes. yeah, we have a, a, a lot of fun. We got married recently and Every person who spoke at our wedding said, they're always laughing and they're at things that aren't even funny. And we talk about that a lot in this podcast. Laughter is one of the best medicines. And, you know, I love oh, hearing totally. that you share that with your partner because what, what a great thing to share. Yeah. Yes. Well, they're actually saying, you know, for the immune system, how good that deep belly laugh is. It's almost like you could think of it as like priming yourself to be fighting fit, you know, it's a really, yep. really great. So They're, comedy nights, play, all the yeah, things. Yes. So our challenge for everyone, if that's the right word, maybe it's task for everyone after this podcast is to find something in your day that does make you laugh, truly belly laughter, not a little giggle, like the laugh that makes <laughs> someone down the street turn around and see what is so funny. So <laughs> put yes. it in our chat challenges that change us. If you find something that makes you laugh today, we would love to hear about it. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank Thank you, Ali. I hope you took a lot away from that interview. Just to reiterate what we spoke about, we are still learning so much around stress, mind and body connection, gut and brain connection, irritable bowel syndrome, and so many other health conditions. We don't have all the answers, but one thing I do know is that you know your body better than anyone else. No one cares more about your world and your body than you do. You don't have to wait for a diagnosis to start nourishing your body and soul, to start educating yourself around the latest research around health, nutrition, mindset, well-being. Sometimes you are the one that needs to take the reins and take action. 
What is one step, one thing you can do today that's going to help nourish your soul, nourish your body? I hope everyone has a great week. If you like this episode, I would love if you could jump in and leave a review. You just head to your podcast platform where you press play and there'll be a little review button on there. This enables us to reach more people with our stories and hopefully by doing that, we can continue to impact one life at a time. I really look forward to seeing you all again next Monday. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.